Well, good evening, SEM. Good evening. Today is February 8th, and it's Thursday, right? Yes, I believe Amen. so. Amen, it's Thursday. We're in the right day, at the right place, at the right time. Mm. Wasn't Sunday amazing? Yeah? Tons of emotions, tons of events. I cried a few times. I, I held the tears. I didn't cry. I'm a man. No, just kidding. It was, it was an amazing, amazing day for multiple reasons. What struck us, well, there are many things that struck us really hard. But one of the greatest things is just the Father's sovereign hand in all our events. Every single thing that happens in our lives, in our church, among his children. It's like the Father has been working in it, has been planning in it. And I don't know how he, how he accomplishes it. Because it's not because we're great. It's not because we get everything right. But yet he accomplishes that which he says he's going to do. So you can look at the seventh ordination. I mean, that sounds pretty perfect to me, don't you think? Yeah, come, come on, that's church. That's a fullness right there. We're on our seventh. Seventh ordination. I'm pretty sure at least four of them, five of them, I'm not even old enough to remember. But I'm happy that we're on the seventh that I can remember because they're a gift to us that is going to stay with us forever. We had three pastors and an elder departing. Yeah, and we have three pastors and an elder being ordained. Would you call that uh, planned, perhaps? No, coincidence. Coincidence. Coincidence is not a culture word. That's true. Absolutely not. We take hope in the sovereignty of our God. Amen. We look at the future. We look at what is going on, what is happening around us, and we can see the entire time that his hand is on all of it, giving us exactly what we need. Amen. Just, just think about it. Think about it for a minute, because I, I think we, we pass that by that fact a little too quickly. How would you, I mean, we know that we participated in it, right? We know that pastors actually ordained other pastors. It didn't happen just because. But who could have planned this? Who could have planned that you would have a man like Adam Cora rising up, yeah. along with other three men like Lingtonius Maximus, yeah. right? Like the general... Right? And like big expense. How would, you, how would you have planned that when three pastors and one elder are leaving, all through this time, God has been working to raise up this man at the perfect time? Saints, that's El Shaddai. Yeah. That, that in itself should give us tremendous hope. Because we worked, we are giving our best. Still, we couldn't have planned it this perfect. Uh, no, we couldn't have done it. Okay? <laughs> I mean, think about this man from the beginning. Think about, you know them. They've been your brothers. Linton has never stopped smiling. Look at him right now. We, we've known them from the time that they, well, me a little bit later. But since they came in, okay? And we've seen their progress. We've seen their walk. We've seen their mistakes. Yeah. We've seen their weakness. Yeah. We've seen that the Father has been sovereign even though they have not been perfect. Yeah. That's good news. Yeah. We have seen them walk, be trained, refined, sharpened, shaped. We have seen it all. And we can partake in that joy. Yeah. 
Come on, I, I know most of you know this already, but I had the privilege yeah. of being roommates with Abimbola Deramola and Justin Linton for about three years. And it was glorious. In fact, I was thinking about an event that happened in our lives together when we lived at 14220 Park Road. I remember coming in, you know, I just got back from fellowship. I'm excited, I'm pumped. I walk in, I immediately begin sweating. It's hot! My Nigerian brother likes things a little warmer than, than I do. And I, and I look over, and my brothers are deep in prayer in the hallway with each other. And in my carnal mindset, I didn't join them. The first thing I did is I walked over to the thermostat, and I turned it down about four degrees, and then just looked at Bim. A sinful, nasty glare. In the midst of my brother sitting there, I didn't know at the time he was going to be my pastor one day. <laughs> I had no idea. I should have known I was just too, too sinful in the moment. But what I can say, as I looked back in that moment, and my pastor, he was the first one to repent in that scenario, and he taught me how to do it. <laughs> we got to fix things and pray together, and I joined them in their holiness. And these men have been doing that for me ever since. And I know that they've been doing that for each and every one of you. When I look at a man like Spencer McLean, who I think is taking his girls home right now. Big country. I, I look at a brother that I've seen go through ups and downs, highs and lows and difficulties all throughout his walk. And he's been immovable. And he's taught me something. If he can do it, I sure as hell better figure out a way to do it as well. Because God's enough for him, then God is enough for me. You know, my brother Spencer's taught me a thing or two. One thing he's taught me is, is you don't, other than, is you don't wait to stand up and be the man that you're one day going to be. You start walking as that man today. And we can all look and see that that man has been pastoring us in that fashion by his actions ever since. We're going to turn to a passage. What we want to talk to you about is that our Father has been sovereign in their lives from the beginning and throughout their entire walk. And we can see that that's true. In fact, he was sovereign in ordaining them this past Sunday. What we want to talk about to you today is how sovereign God has been in each and every one of your lives. Amen. If you'll turn with us to Psalm 139, we're going to start in verse 15. <laughs> My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, all your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. All the days? All the days. Wait, was it just one day? All the days. Hey, this passage has taught us a few things. We are looking back to Sunday and we say, man, look at that ordination, right? That moment in time in which finally it all becomes clear, apparent, it is there, ordained by God, put in place, right? Well, this verse tells us that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Come on. Ordination, okay, is not a culminating event. Ordination is the Father's perfect hand in your life every single day on, that's ordination that, ordination is not the combination of a thing ordination is what the father does when he sticks his hand and he ordains the events in your life that's ordination and this sunday 
was one of those events. Amen. So with, with that, I think we should look at a definition for mm -hmm. ordination or ordain, actually. We, okay. we, we made this very simple for y'all. <laughs> definition of ordain. To put in order. Hey, we, we got to make it smarter than that. There's an origin to, to, to that word. Okay? It comes from the Latin ordo. Or ordinare. I don't know how to say it. Anglo, Norman French, ordinier, I think. <laughs> and the English order. Which really means to put in order. It's like God ordering things in your life. Church. For God so loved the cosmos. His right order of things. Church, what we're pointing at here with our slides and uh, our humor is that ordination is every day being ordained by God. We need to look at ordination as less of an event, and we have ordinations, but it's every one of those moments that the Lord is putting things into right order. Amen. Namely, you stepping in the right order of God. He's ordaining our moments. He's ordaining our days and looking to live a life that is ordained by God, not try to get to a moment of ordination before our God. Come on. When you think about that ordination, the order of God in your life, what he has ordered to happen, I can't help but think, let me see where she's at. She's not here today. I can't help but think about my spouse, about Patricia. Perfectly ordained for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are billions of women in this world, but I have mine. Yeah. I, have, Come on. I have the one that the Father has ordained for me. And what happens when I think about that is that all value increases when I know about the one woman that the Father has ordained for me. Right? And what happens then is that I look at my children. There are billions of children in this world, but I have mine. I have the ones that the Father has allotted for me. Yeah. I even look at my parents, and I know yeah. that I have the parents that God has ordained for me. None else. They are mine. Okay? And I can look at every single relationship in this room and know that God has ordained this family for me. I can treasure you. I can value you. I can lift you high. I can be happy for your ordination. I can be excited because it means that God has perfectly ordered all of our lives because we are his children. Come on, brother. That ordination, it's not just about all the good things in That's your life. That's true. We're talking about the hardships. Yeah. We're talking about the difficulties that mold and shape you. Yeah. We're talking about the failures that you have to get back up from and keep on trucking. Amen. When we talk about the relationships, I can look back and I can see I had no idea, but God had ordained for me to be living with my pastors yeah. all those years ago. Come God's on. ordained my life and giving me my spouse and my team. Yeah. God's ordained for us to be up here preaching this message to you today. Amen. Skip and Joyce, God has ordained for this day for you to be here and hear this message. We have uh, an example that we ministered to us, and we want to share again with you in the life of Isaiah. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll start in verse 5. So while you're turning there, we can go ahead and give you guys the title of our message. Is that okay with y'all? That's a good point. Okay. The title of this message 
is ordained by our Father. Amen. So as you get there, say ordained. Ordained. And I, I said, and I said, woe, woe is me. Woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. This is an incredible progression in this passage. God poses a uh, very, very good question, but it's focusing in on Isaiah. He goes from, woe is me, to here I am, send me. It's an incredible passage to see an ordained moment. This was not the culmination of Isaiah's ministry. This was the very beginning and birth of it. The Lord ordained a time for him to be made clean. And then he's able to answer the question. Brother, it's almost like this was his born again moment and he would continue to walk in that. And if he just got born again, would you say he's the most qualified in the room? Not at all. Standing in the heavenly council, surrounded by seraphim and cherubim, and the very presence of the Lord, I'd say he's probably the least qualified in the room. Yeah. However, he's there and he's willing. Yeah. And his willingness led him to immediate action. He states, here I am, send me. He didn't wait for recognition. He didn't wait for somebody to tell him what to do. He saw a need, he saw a void, and he knew that God had formed him and shaped him to fill it. Amen. So he did. Brother, let me ask you something really quick. When God asked the question, who will I send? Who will go for us? Do you think he might have already known the answer? I would suppose that's why he's the only one in the room. <laughs> I think it was God ordained. Think about it. His lips had just been cleansed. And his immediate response, it's not like he took a break and said, no, I need to go on a Shabbat and think about this. No, he, his immediate response was, here am I, send me. I have just been cleansed, but there's an immediacy to his action. It's like the father's asking a question and his sovereignty, he knows who shall answer that question. And Isaiah does not delay. There was nothing that hindered Isaiah from responding to that call. Not his insecurities, not the fact that it had been seconds, minutes, I don't know, since he had just been cleansed. Nothing hindered his call. He responded that call. In God's sovereignty, he asked the question, and he left a void for Isaiah to feel the pressure and say, Here am I. I am the person that will answer the call. Amen. This immediate response in Isaiah will become a pattern for his life. This is not the only time that he responds. This response, yeah. This is not the only time. His life became a pattern of responding to the call of God. It's not one ordained event in which he responded. It's every ordained day that God gave Isaiah that he responded to his call. All the days written in, in his, in his All book. All of them. There is a progression to Isaiah's life. 
He responded as an individual. You can see that here, right? Who did he, he didn't say, here I am, right? That's an individual. I am. I am here and I want to go. I'm responding to this. But he will continue to do this and you will see a progression in his life. In the historical context of Isaiah, what's happening here is that the Assyrian invasion is close to happening. The Babylonian captivity, it's in the future as well. However, God is revealing to Isaiah the difficult times that he and his people must endure. That's, what's, that's the context of Isaiah. And so he gives, God gives some direction to Isaiah in this difficult context. He gives him instruction. And we will find that in Isaiah 8, verse 16. Come on. Ordained. Yeah, let's turn there. Ordained. Ordained when you get there. Ordained. While you're turning there, I just want to make a point. My brother is, is telling us and he's teaching us that Isaiah's revelation that he's getting and his response was in the midst of understanding the difficulties that were lying ahead. And God ordained those as well. Come on. Are we in Isaiah 8? Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. Whose disciples are those? This is God speaking. This is God's disciple. So God is saying, is telling Isaiah, hey, bind up this testimony. Seal this law. Make it precious. Cover it. Guard it. Among who? God's disciples. There was a close adherence to the Father, a uh, discipleship process that was paramount for God in this revelation. This instruction wasn't going to be passed down to a man that just appeared on the street and, and you know, and Isaiah is going to speak to. This instruction was going to be passed down because it was precious. It was going to be passed down to Isaiah's disciples. Amen. God's instructions to you. God's instructions to the pastors, to us, are meant to be passed down and sealed among men and women who are actually being discipled. Who, are, who, are, who adhere closely to the Father. But not only that, who adhere closely to the discipleship process of the Father, Amen. which is with our brothers. Amen. So let's keep going on Isaiah 17, uh, 8, 17. Saints, doesn't that process sound a lot like what happens here? The teaching and the revelation that we receive? That God's given it to our fathers and they're passing it down to us as we're adherent to them and to God who's leading us. In verse 17, we have Isaiah's response to the Lord's command. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Here's another God-ordained moment. We see a call and a response again in Isaiah's life. The Lord calls to him as an individual. He responds as an individual. And he's at another moment in his life, but now he's standing with his family, with his disciples. And the Lord calls and he responds yet again. Consider the Lord's sovereignty in Isaiah's life. He called him as one man, and he knew he would become many. He called him to be a prophet in the midst of great difficulty, no one would like their ministry to be starting with that the Lord is hiding their face from their entire, that entire house of Jacob. But Isaiah didn't just respond once. We see that this is the second time, and he's responded with increasing vigor. He's getting better at this. He's teaching other men to do it. And he's choosing to put his trust in the sovereignty of God yet again. Amen. So in the Father's sovereignty, 
because it was ordained by the Father. He responded once when he was an individual. But then you can read chapter 7 and chapter 8. You see sons that, are, that um, God gave Isaiah. And not only that, in this verse we see that there are disciples that Isaiah is instructing. And in his sovereignty, now Isaiah, much like these brothers over here, like Linton, like Spence, like Abimbola, like Adam, there was a time when they responded the call. Maybe they were single, maybe they were not. But there was a time when they responded the call. Now it's another appointed time to answer the call, and that is what they've done. Amen. Now they have disciples. Now they have sons. Now they have a different multitude of brothers, and they're answering the call, not as single individuals. They're answering the call as a people. There's a close adherence to the people that they're serving, that we are serving, that you are among, and we are answering the call together. Amen. Come on, saints. Would you say that as Isaiah grew in his calling, and more responsibility was added to him, that that would be more difficult than when he was just a single man? You see that God is expanding his capacity because of his willingness to continue to walk out his will in every way. And it results in a familial response. Both disciples and sons walking and living and doing as signs and symbols of the living God. When we say signs and symbols, did you think we were talking about traffic lights or maybe the heavenly lights that God placed in the heavens during, create, during the creation. These lights have been burning for generations and yet not burned up or been consumed. We are talking about lights that have endured the testing throughout discipleship. We're talking about lights that have adhered closely to their God. They have had great relationship with him. They have grown in their capacity. And they know what it means to adhere closely to your brothers to complete your calling. Come on. We're talking about the sons of this house. We're talking about the disciples in this house and the great and shining stars that the Lord has made them. We want to talk about a man who closely adhered himself to the God who ordained his family. We're going to talk about Joseph. If just brief overview of Joseph's life story up until this point. He's given dreams, God-ordained moment. And then his brothers tried to kill him, ended up showing him mercy by selling him to slaves, slave traders. God-ordained moment. He, uh, he works his way up to head slave. Yes. H-J-I-C. And then he is uh, accused of rape and adultery and thrown into a prison. God-ordained moment. Then he works his way up to head of the jailhouse. He interprets dreams for arrested royals. And they forget about him. God-ordained moment. And then he is remembered. And he's brought into the throne room of Pharaoh. This is his moment, his chance for release. What is the test that he's given? Interpret the dream of a lost man and tell him what he should do about it. But you can see that a lifetime of God-ordained moments had led him up to the response, no, I can't, but the God who I serve is able to. Brother, I'd imagine that if the last time I was interpreting dreams, it caused my brothers to want to kill me, I might be a little bit fearful to try to do that thing again. Not him. Was this his ordination moment, really? Or was his entire life a series of ordained moments by God that led him up into culminating more and more obedience? Every hardship, every person, 
every temptation was ordained by God to shape him into the man that could do this and be the man that he would be after this. This was not his last God-ordained Every moment. temptation. Wow. The Father ordained these events and the people with which he was going to do them. He was equipped through every interaction and equipped with the people around him. We want to read Genesis 45, verse 5. Man, what an ordained life. Genesis 45, verse 5 says, And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Now, who's speaking here? Joseph. Joseph. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wait, brother, so Joseph wasn't concerned about how his brothers had wronged him in the past? It doesn't seem like it. Wow. Is he speaking about it? No, he's not. He's saying, he's actually telling him, hey, you know what? Don't be distressed. You know, chill out, relax. He's worrying about them. He's telling them that they don't have to worry about that. Don't be angry with yourselves. Uh, yeah, really. Is that what is going to come out of our heart when they've sold you and almost killed you? Don't be angry with yourselves. Probably not. Uh, probably not. I'd be like, okay, just a little bit of anger is fine. <laughs> No, what came out of Joseph's heart, which came out of his mouth, was, hey, do not be angry with yourselves, because there was a purpose in God's sovereignty. You know what? It was ordained by the Father. It was ordained by the Father that I would go ahead of you, not because I was so great, but because the Father had in his mind and in his sovereignty and his plan that if, through this ordained event, uh, lives would be saved. Are you saying, Carlos, that the purpose of leadership, the purpose of anointing leaders is to save lives? Yeah, like going ahead is not for the purpose of rejoicing that you're going ahead. It's for the purpose of saving lives because it's a God-ordained moment that God has given you the privilege to go ahead for others. Amen. I want to consider the life of Joseph here just a little bit more. How do you get to be the kind of man that can be staring at your 11 brothers who tried to kill you and be concerned about their heart that they would not be distressed and that you could pastor them through what they did to you? I've seen our pastors do that a few times, usually because I was the one who did it. Joseph didn't wait to become a king. He acted as a king every day, and you could see in his life that he didn't need to be a king to have kingly behavior. Come on. He didn't need to be Zophanoff Panea to be able to manage others' households well. When he interprets the dream, he doesn't just tell him what it meant. He also tells him what to do about it. Where do you think he learned to do that? Maybe managing Pharaoh's house? Maybe managing a prison? So now when it's time to manage food, it is one more God-ordained moment that the Lord has given him? We wanted to take a note. I think y'all can tell none of this is scripted. Let's talk about mezuzahs. Are you waiting to perform your mezuzah? Are you making your mezuzah something that you one day hope to be? Or is your mezuzah something that God has shown you that you already are? Come on. Two good questions. Are we waiting for recognition? Are we, which we call permission, but what we mean by permission is that we want to be recognized and told to do something. Or are we confident that our Lord has made you this and that you can look at your life and every event that you're in is pointing to the fact that this is who the Lord made you? We need to evaluate our mezuzah behavior. We need to evaluate the way that we speak about these things. 
because your God has made a function, he has made a design, and what he has built for you is God-ordained moment after God-ordained moment to build you into that perfect design. We don't have to wait to be who he told us to be. And when we regard the sovereignty of our Father, we have to realize that not everybody is born at the same time. Is that right? Not everyone matures at the same speed. But everyone has the chance to take full advantage of the life that has been ordained to you by our Father. Joseph did not choose his calling. It was ordained by God. Joseph did not want to go first. That was not his purpose. Look at how he went first. And if he wanted to, that's not how he would have picked going first. For sure. Joseph actually did not have any ambition for ordination. You know why? Because every single day of his life had already been ordained, and he recognized that in his life. He wasn't waiting. And so the king that he was meant to be was the king that showed up every single time in every circumstance. Because when you regard that God has ordained the hardship, that God has ordained the temptation, then you actually rise up to conquer that hardship and that temptation. The Father has granted me the ability to face persecution, the ability to face weakness, the ability to, to face sickness, the ability to not be perfect, the ability to stumble. And in God's sovereignty, He's holding me and he, I am still here. The Father is working in more ways than we can even imagine. We can't pinpoint to the works of God. You can, just like you, can, you cannot know how the baby is being uh, grown in the a, in, in a woman of a, of a mother, you, we can't really pinpoint the works of God. But then when you're walking and you start seeing what He has done, you start marveling at how perfectly sovereign He has been in our lives. And so when you look at this man and you say, gosh, seventh ordination, and it's like a Sabbath. It's like a, an ordination that is not to go and send away. It's an ordination that is for us. It's an ordination for our body, for our benefit, for our brotherhood, and for our growth. How can you say that this is not the gift of God? Church, Joseph wasn't just willing. He was doing. He, uh, he recognized the fact that when he had the dream that all of his brothers and his father and mother would be bowing, bowing down to him, that it was as good as done because the Lord said it. It just had not happened yet. Come on, I'll, actually, I want to challenge all of you right now. Because I, I doubt that I could ask any one of you if you're willing and you tell me no. But the proof is in the pudding. If you're willing, you're going to be the man that's doing. See, Joseph, uh, he, he knew that his circumstances didn't define his sonship or the sovereignty of his God. The end result of our lives is that you will be able to look back and say that the Lord had been leading me the entire time. When that went wrong, when I messed that up, when I didn't have that right attitude, when this happened, when the Lord put this brother next to me, when the Lord gave me my wife, when the Lord gave me my children, Joseph's able to look back at everything that has happened to this point and say that was all him. Standing in this place, he's looking back at it. And we've said it once and we're going to say it again. The church, the point of leadership is 
some men need to go first for the purpose of saving lives. Yeah. And in the Father's perfect servanty, he's ordained some men that will go first for us. Yeah. Not everyone is born at the same time. Not everyone is going to grow at the same time. Joseph went first, but that's because God picked it. The Lord picked it. Joseph didn't choose it. He didn't ask to go first, and he didn't have any ambition for it. Gabe, it reminds me of a syndrome that you were telling me that you had. This, uh, <laughs> I, I have, I have T syndrome. Oh, no. What I, what I mean is I have traffic syndrome. So when uh, you're driving and you're in a rush, you guys are godly, so you, I'm sure you've never said this, but something to the effect of why is everyone going so slow? Baby, you've never heard that out of my mouth, right? And for whatever reason, everyone seems to be going slow when you are trying to run fast. But have you ever been, you know, on a Sunday afternoon going to lunch or something, not in a rush, not late for work, and seen somebody come by you at Mock Jesus? Yeah. What the heck is wrong with him? It was Wade. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is what we're referring to when we say traffic syndrome. Your perspective on how everyone else is doing is based off of your own internal uh, assessment of what is important and what is not and what should be done. The truth is, is uh, if you're in a rush, everyone's going slow. If you're going fast, or if you're going slow, everyone's going fast, which when we compare it to our walks with the Lord here, usually shows up in questions like when you see an ordination, was it that they have that I don't? What is it that they have that I don't? Well, you know, if you're running really, really, really fast, you might be looking and going, I have everything that they have. It's just my greatness hasn't been recognized yet. You see, what's wrong with that question, brother? Just really quick. What's wrong with that question is if you're in your sofron, in your right mind, that's exactly the question you need to be asking of those going before you. What is it that they have that I don't? And how do I get it? But that's not what most of us do. On the other side, what do they have that I don't? And you see somebody that maybe came into the church after you did, has a similar calling to you in your mind, reach ordination, and maybe I really just can't. Maybe I don't have what those guys do. This is what I mean by traffic syndrome. What we need to do much like when you've been sitting in the car and speaking with one of your close friends, you're no longer talking to about the traffic. You're no longer concerned with how fast someone is or is not going around you. We need to be focused on our God-ordained moments with our God. We need to be focused on following the path and the uh, course that he has given us. We need to stop being so worried about whether somebody's going faster than you or slower than you. We need to be focused on our relationship with our friend building a relationship with him through every one of those tough moments where you confess something that you didn't want to confess. When somebody was wrong, wronged you and you forgive them. In those difficult moments when you're just not quite sure that you can, you build relationship with your father and you stop worrying about everybody else. 
We have another man that is, uh, I think, the solution to our traffic syndrome. Let's go. 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 12. Go ahead and say ordained when you get there. As you're turning there. As you're turning there, we want to think about a, a, a topic for a second. When we look at brothers like Spence, Bim, and Linton, do we see that they tried to get away from each other and tried to pull ahead? Or do we see that they closely adhered to one another and to their pastors? And this was part of their ordained moments all along the path leading up to their ordination. When you, when you look at our pastors and the way that they minister to us, do they do it as individuals, far from their brothers, or are they talking constantly, rub, rub, uh, rubbing shoulders with one another, making sure that they're able to get the right concepts and the right sophron together having the mind of Christ as they're leading us? Yeah, we do it together. We see that this isn't an individual attempt. Y'all in 2 Corinthians? Yeah. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. Wow. Church could not find comfort and security in moving forward without his brother Titus. He had an open door to ministry in front of him. He's, he's got the plane ticket. He's got the country. He's got the city he's going to go to. And he will not do it without his brother Titus. Amen. When he recognized that this was an ordained moment from the Lord, he, uh, he then immediately recognized who he was ordained to do this with. Come on. And my computer's not going to work for me here. <laughs> the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. And Paul was able to not have to uh, look back at his life and see that the Lord was doing it all along. Paul was instead focused on that this was, is ordained in front of me. Who do I need to be doing this? Who are the yeah. men that the Lord yeah. ordained to be around me? Who are the Lord, men that the Lord ordained to do this as well? God is sovereign, yes. However, each man has to play his role, and Paul recognized that. He took personal responsibility for the corporate fulfillment. He took his responsibility for his role. He took authority for the position the Lord had given him and recognized it in his brother so that they could accomplish something for the body at large. What my brother's telling y'all is that Paul's personal responsibility to what God had ordained in his life had a, a massive impact on the corporate fulfillment of what God was aiming at all along. You know what this reminds me of? Psalm 108. We've been hearing about it. See, we have a personal responsibility. It says, I will awaken the dawn. Come on. And how does that psalm end? With we will do valiantly. Truth is, is there was more than one ordained moment happening at the same time. The door was opened, and that was ordained. Yeah. Paul recognized that he needed Titus. Titus is often referred to as a son, and he is certainly a son. What does Proverbs 17, 17 tell us, though, about brothers? Yeah. Born, born, born for adversity. We see an ordained, ordained moment here where we see for a fact that a son had graduated to a brother with his father. Amen. When Paul had something hard to do, he went and found Titus, which means that he wasn't uh, helping dad carry the groceries. He was actually a brother that he needed and wanted beside him when something was going to be difficult. He became 
far more than a servant. He became a friend. This was a transformation ordained by God to happen at this time. I'd wager, honestly, that the open door to ministry was uh, secondary to anointing the proper leader that Titus was going to be, the appointed brother that Titus was going to be. Let's bring that home for a second. Think about how many times you've seen an open door and not gone through it because you don't have a brother with you. Well, I can tell you that that's convicting just thinking about it. Because when the door is open, I'm like, God opened it. I'm going through it. But Paul is not a man that's just wanting to go through open doors. Paul is a man that recognizes that for, the, for his calling to be fulfilled, it has to be done in community. And for my brother's calling to be fulfilled, it has to be done in community. So what we start seeing is that we're not looking to advance, really. We're not really looking to go through open doors. We're not looking to step in and, yes, and say, I did it. What we're looking for is to understand that in the sovereignty of our father, he has put Adam close to my dad. Yeah. In the sovereignty of our father, okay, Tom is sitting by Paul McAwick. In the sovereignty of our father, have you ever thought that you're sitting next to somebody, not because you thought that seat was comfortable, they're all the same, or because you could see the slides, but because for some reason God ordained that you be closer to somebody right now? <laughs> so what we find, church, is that none of us are expendable. As ordained as your calling is, as ordained as the open door is, equally as ordained is the man that God, men that God chose to do it with you. Amen. Cannot can't be done alone, honestly. This reminds us of Hebrews 11, starting in verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, I feel like y'all are familiar with the, the these we're talking about, escaped the edge of the sword, conquered kingdoms, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Wow. Even our faith hall of fame, could not receive the perfection that the Lord had ordained for them without the full culmination of the community of Israel. Neither can we. We cannot receive the full culmination of what the Lord has ordained for us unless we all do. And so this means when you see a brother being ordained or in an ordained moment, you'll take pride and joy in it because you know you had something to do with it. Come on, come on. Think about the, think about the fact that it says that though commended through their faith. That meant that every one of them had a personal faith and responsibility that he was committed to, right? Every one of those men in the Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith or whatever, <laughs> they actually walked in faith and were commended by it. As individuals, they were responsible to manifest, to demonstrate, and to walk in that faith. But that was not it. They needed each one to rise up in the same kind of faith to be able to receive the ultimate promise, the corporate promise. Come on, saints, what we're telling you today and what we're charging you with is that each and every one of you have a personal responsibility to walk a life of faith for the fulfillment of the corporate calling of this body. Amen. And we need to take that very seriously. Yeah. It's time to stand up in the ordained fashion that God has called us in today. We're not waiting for another day. We're not waiting for someone else to step up and do it for us. It's today 
that we get to stand up in the ordination that God has orchestrated our life in. Because it, it's, 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 sorry. It is the, it has a direct impact on the corporate fulfillment of what God's trying to do here. Saints, it's put pretty explicitly in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go to verse 18. Say ordained when you get there. Ordained. Oh, no. Ordained. Somebody was kidnapped. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Come on, saints. Our body, our congregation has been ordained by our sovereign father. He's perfectly ordered all of us together for the fulfillment of the corporate calling of life-changing ministries and the one association. See, married men, think about it. You've been ordained as the priest, provider, and the protector of your very home. <laughs> but it does not stop there. Let me ask you a question. Many of you will be able to answer it. Where does ministry flow from? Home. Ministry flows from the home. And you and your family are meant to build this body. And today, you must stand up in the fullness of your ordained role because we cannot do it without you. Wives, your family's ordained by God. You have a personal responsibility to daily guide your children into the fullness of all that they're called to be. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just about your children, but also your sisters around you. They need you and you need them to build each other up in the fullness of the ordination that God has called you to. And it has to start now. Recognizing that your events, the people, circumstances, and everything in your life has been ordained by the Father will cause us to rise up in actual gratefulness for the moment and the provision that he's made and be faithful with that moment. It is when we do not recognize God's sovereignty in what is going on that we miss the moment. We, we, we didn't think he was appointed for us. So we treat it as, we treat it lightly. It doesn't matter. Oh, I met this person. And what did you speak to him about? Uh, well, I have no idea. I, I missed the moment. An open door was given, <laughs> and you actually didn't cross it because we miss the God-ordained moment. When we, when we keep his sovereignty in view, man, it makes every day worth living. It makes every relationship worth building. Yeah. It makes the body worth cherishing. Yes. It makes everything so glorious because you're actually able to see God's perfect hand working in your midst and in your life. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, verse 7. You know this verse, but we're going to glean from it again. Yeah, let's do it. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned Whoa, 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 whoa. This grace wasn't just for the pastors? I don't think so, brother. Is this, is this for every single one of us here? It says, each one each of us. Each one. With that in mind... This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. Yeah, the Lord has gifted us with amazing five-fold ministers, and there's such great gifts. But saints, that's not all. No. Come on. All of us individually are gifts right back to them for the body. Saints, you are a gift that God has given to men. Look to your left and to your right right now. You are a gift to the one that you're sitting next to. And they are a gift to you. Hallelujah. 
Because you're a gift, you should sit closer. All right, verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Man, we're not going to get into that right now. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ, yes, this is all of us, so that the body of Christ may be built up yeah. until we all reach unity in the faith. Yeah. Saints, are you being prepared for works of service right now? Yes. yes. Those works of service have everything to do with the person to your left and to your right and building them up into the fullness of unity. The fullness of unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Hallelujah. We want to become mature. Yeah. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, the pleroma of Christ is a big thing. That's a big thing. That, that, and, and it's needed that every person, each one of us, that has received grace apportioned to you. And I mean grace, empowerment from God on high. That each person who is a gift to men, because the, the, the fivefold ministers... Those are not the only gifts that God has given to men. The grace that he has given to each one of us here makes us a gift to each other. That's what makes this beautiful. And it's so that we grow into the unity and the pleroma, the fullness of who Christ is. We're about ready to land this plane. But I want to make sure that uh, you know, we hit the points. So say, I'm ordained. My brothers, are My brothers are ordained, and we will trust in the sovereignty of our God. Everyone here is necessary. No one is expendable. The calling of God must be accomplished by our personal, taking personal responsibility for our part in the plan, and that we are going to do it together yeah. to reach complete fulfillment for the entire body. Church, we, uh, we got... Just a couple of points that none of them are very complicated. We're just trying to convey the life of an ordained man, yeah. not an ordained moment. A man that is willing and does something with his willingness today acts in bold faith. Yeah. We want to act in ordination. We want to act in our ordained moments. We want to act in our ordained brotherhood. We want to act in our ordained body. So saints, y'all can go ahead and stand to your feet. Okay. Sound booth, can you throw Isaiah 6, verse 8 up on the screen? So in light of all that we've been talking about to you this evening, God's asking, you whose lives have been ordained by the very sovereign God, our Father, just like in Isaiah 6, 8, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? So I ask you, whom shall he send, saints? Church, who's he going to send? Looking at this, knowing that God has ordained each and every moment in your lives, we have to understand and realize that that ordination does not come in some far-off distant land or a future event. That God has ordained today, as long as it's called today, for you to stand up and be everything that he's called you to be. 
He's called you to do this, not just for yourself, but for the men, women, and children all around you. Saints, I need you. This body needs you. The world needs us to stand up in the ordination that he's called us to. And we don't do this alone. Brothers, I am, I am, I am enthralled with how amazing this body has been to me, with how much I've seen each and every one of you grow, and how you've impacted my life. And we cannot slow down. It's time to, it's time to stand up today and keep going. So I have questions for you. Because I, I know if you're like me, you've, you've, you've felt off at times. You feel like, how do, I, how do I stand up in this ordained moment today? Has your calling felt stagnant or like it's lying dormant until some other future ordained day? Because if it has, let's go back and think about what we talked about earlier. What's in your mezuzah? Who has the Father ordained you to be? And what, what part of that have you put aside and not been walking in? What has your Father highlighted for you today to pick back up and began running in an ordained fashion? We know that you have, sorry, we know that there have been times where you have missed God's ordained moments. But why is that? It's because you failed to act? Because of right, not rightly valuing your God-ordained relationships around you and realizing that you need your brothers and they need you to stand in the moment. Not rightly valuing God's sovereignty in your life and the brothers that he's placed around you can cause you to miss those moments. And we're saying, enough of that. Today, we put that down. If this has defined any part of your walk in the past year, then you, you can make the right step. If you need to make a commitment at the altar, then you can do it. And stand up and do exactly what the Lord has ordained for you after that. You need to be the men and women that God's called you to be more so than ever before for the sake of this church and for the sake of the nations that we're going to. Saints, if James tells us that Elijah was a man just like you and I, then we are without excuse. Now is the time. Today is the day ordained by the Father for you to stand up more than ever before in God's sovereign ordination of each and every one of your individual lives because the corporate culmination of this body is dependent on it. I need you. We need you. And God is awaiting your faith-filled response. Here am I. Send me. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we ask that you would do what you do best. Work in the hearts, our hearts, Father, for those ordained moments. Lord, for commitments at the altar. But Lord, that we would go out and be exactly who you made us to be. And recognize the ordained moment of every day. Lord, you have been good to this family and you have given us gifts. You've appointed gifts for men. Lord, and you have made us gifts for each other. Father, it is a pleasure to serve you.